And now the creator of Ren and Stimpy, Bob Kemp. Rose downstairs, alone or in pairs, rolls over your neighbor's dog. It's great for a snack, it fits on your back. It's log, log, log. It's log, it's log, it's big, it's heavy as wood. It's log, it's log, it's better than bad, it's good. Everyone wants a log, everyone loves a log. Diddle did did it from Blamo. There we go, that's the log song. And you're listening to Sci Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye-bye Saturday night. Let me just say this. There, there are times when we do an interview and we say to a guest or, or someone that we've done an interview with, would you mind doing a bumper for the show? Uh, so, you know, do whatever you want and just mention the show at the end of it. Uh, and you, you're never really sure what's going to happen when you do it. And that was Bob Camp from Ren and Stimpy doing the log song because he could. Welcome to TalkCast 267 in this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night in the Fortress of Solitude, deep in Area 51. I am Chief Pontificator of the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, it's a full cast. We haven't had one of those for a while where everybody's going to talk. And, and who knows, maybe some of us still won't. That's fine, too. In the Revere Time Vortex, our technical omnivore, running everything behind the scenes and in front of the scenes and just running stuff. It's our own girl, Genius Kriana. Running circles around everyone else. Just running stuff at this point. From the stacks of her personal comp space in the Dank Dungeon's only indoor winter zen garden, where spring is slowly springing and 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 stuff, the Cat Whisperer Zombrarian. Today, I went outside without a coat, and I didn't die. Spring From a galaxy real. not as far away as you might think, the woman in chainmail trolling ABC executives on Twitter, on Facebook, and stealing personal emails just to get Raging Carter renewed for a second season. Red lipstick and all, Sir Sarah Lady Knight. Wow. <laughs> and for some reason, she's been meowing for the past half hour. My brain is gone. My brain is off in the just the the land of fog. That's where it is. And that's why you really enjoyed the Bob Camp intro. Yeah. <laughs> Our guests tonight join us in the second half of the show, and they're actually here now, and they're very afraid. Scott and David Godsward from A Horror Guide to Massachusetts, one of the most interesting horror books we've had on the show. Looking forward to seeing it. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And yes, we are terrified. As well Good. you should be. <laughs> we'll be talking about the book in the second half of the show but first the news
And we're going to start the news, unfortunately, on a rather somber and sad note. Norman Lee, who is uh, a, a New England artist, uh, who we've seen at conventions since forever, uh, and works with uh, Bob Shaw at Comic Art House, was vacationing for the first time in God knows how long with his, his lovely wife, Jan, when he went snorkeling and disappeared. And unfortunately, after three days, the police have given up and pronounced him dead. Um, after his disappearance, uh, Facebook kind of blew up with the support and uh, Jan posted on Facebook two days ago, many of you we've never met, but it's clear that your love of Norman is strong and as powerful as our family's is. Norman was an amazing husband, mentor, friend, son, brother, and man. He was a second father to my children. He was the love of my life. And despite the unfathomable heartache, I am feeling today, I wouldn't change one moment I shared with Norman. Our five years of marriage was love in its purest form, and I feel incredibly lucky to have shared it with the most wonderful human being I will ever know. Uh, we reached out to Bob Shaw at Comic Art House to talk to us about Norman and uh, his work. Uh, Bob is justifiably in kind of shock right now over the events of the past week and he did promise me he will come on at a later date uh, to talk about Norman and, and Jan and the legacy that leaves behind Norman we will miss you and there's no good way to segue out of that into anything else is there no there is not um, but we're gonna do it anyway but I guess we're gonna <laughs> Oh, we don't have any choice. Uh, now that Agent Carter is, is done and gone, and there is a groundswell of resurgence to bring it back for a second limited-run series, uh, which nobody is actually willing to commit to at this point. So it's Sarah ridiculous. is now... <laughs> I just I, No, okay, I'm going to cut you off, because I just don't understand how they could not bring it back. Like, I, I really don't. I... It's. It would be stupid of them to not renew it. It would be actually the stupidest thing they've ever done. I. Also, I kind of wonder if part of that has to thing. do with whether uh, Agents of Shield comes back, and that sits as a miniseries within it again, as it did this year. I mean, but it could be like a summer show. They could do it during the winter hiatus again. Like there are possibilities, or they could have it as a lead-in, as yeah. opposed to that horrible repeat after me show what they should do is they should have repeat after me fresh off the boat and yeah. then agents of shield so they have the horrible show and then the two good shows next to each other <laughs> or they should just get rid of repeat after me because that is i i can't watch that show i actually want to curl up into a ball and die if i see bits of that show i cannot do it i'm gonna, have to, after gonna me. have to disagree with you there yeah. I, the best way I, to watch that show it. is to mute it and supply your own dialogue. The best way to watch that show is to switch to another channel until Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> comes on. You know what it, I almost hope they do with Agent Carter? Mm -hmm. I almost hope... I know they have one Netflix deal already for a Netflix exclusive. I want them to move Agent Carter to a Netflix 
exclusive. That is brilliant. And then you are brilliant. Release the whole the whole season at once. Oh my yeah. god. Can we tweet them at that right now? Can we start a Twitter campaign? Let's do it. Because I was thinking about the progression of Agent Carter, and I was realizing it was a seven-hour-long spy movie. It absolutely yeah. was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they laid it out exactly the same way you would lay out a spy movie if a spy movie was seven hours long. And I realized and so that some of the problems I had with it was that I was waiting a week between the episodes, and I would kind of fall out of where I was, and it would take me a little while to get back into the world of the show mm. after a yeah, week. it is very insular. It is, yeah. And I feel like watching it kind of all at once, the way I watch Orange is the New Black, would be better. Really? Yeah, Let's start the Twitter campaign. We yep. can. We need to hashtag... Uh, Agent Carter Netflix. Also, yeah, Agent Carter. then we can have Netflix. Agent Carter Orange is the New Black crossover. <laughs> yeah. Kate as Red, who is Angie's great niece. <laughs> Good. So in, in lieu of actually being able to talk about Agent Carter, which we've actually already done, Talk to us, Sarah, about the return of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Was it a letdown for you? Uh, the way you're saying that makes it kind of sound like, sound like it's a letdown for you. It was not a letdown for me at all. I am um, just as involved in these characters. However, I feel like I feel like Gemma needs to go see a therapist like right now because I'm really oh worried God. about her. That she whole rant yeah, the she's got some serious, like, her. repressed they anger. They have to kill her. They have to kill her now. Lock yeah, her up. No. She Burn her. She's a witch. Not... Burn the witch. Anyway. Yeah, she would yeah, it. Yeah, it, and it felt it felt very out of character for her. And I feel like I it, it was just a very that. abrupt change. Yeah? Yeah, I disagree. Because we were seeing some of that metahumans are not trustworthy and metahumans are not okay with Gemma before the mid-season break. But We've I don't seen think it was little flashes of it. Now it's like reared mm. up and is a big... I get what you're saying, yeah. But we've seen that with her before. That I think it was just the extremity of it that kind of took me aback. It was just so vehement that I was kind of like, where is my sweet little science baby? yeah. Yeah, and but I, I definitely she was brainwashed by Hydra. Ah, uh, that's my theory. I hope not. That's Thank my theory. Uh oh, I'm worried. But at the same time, you've seen, you know, the good metahuman, or at least the one trying to come to grips with what she's got. And on the other hand, you've got Reyna. Uh, yeah. What the hell's going on with her? She's a cute little hedgehog. She's like a little a little thorn goblin. And she doesn't like it, but she's a cute little thorn goblin now. Evidently, yeah. Yeah, but she's like... Weird. I mean, I feel like it magnified the things about them. Like, Reyna is... Yeah, she's pretty, but inside she's kind of really dark. Um, and I feel like that kind of showed through in the way her... Um, what she became, how that manifested. 
kind of kind of yeah, rotten in the inside, completely rotten out. At yeah. This point. And, uh, yeah. And, and every time we turn around, somebody else in the inner circle of this band of what's left of Shield turns out to be an asshole. Tell me it wasn't Mac. I haven't seen the episode yet. But <laughs> tell totally me it wasn't Mac, Mac it was slash totally the best Mac. character ever. Sorry, I, I hate to be the one person. Literally Mac. Damn it! Um, I'm really worried about Bobby and Mac, and I don't. I don't think they're definitely not Hydra. We know that, but I just, I literally just want them to use their words and tell me who they're working for because I'm just at this point. I'm so annoyed at how much they're talking around the issue. I feel like it's being built up too much. And I'm like, I just want to know. Like, at this point, I'm kind of over it, and I want you to tell me so I can, like, adjust and move on. But here's the problem. So you're not your over life. it because it's really annoying you. It's Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm over them not telling me is really what it is. Right, right. Um, and it's just really frustrating that it, they just keep talking it in circles. I'm like, stop talking in circles yeah, and, and just fucking use your words. Use your words. Well, look, ah! look at how long it took them to get to the underground city, for Christ's sake. I mean, I six weeks of, I know what these symbols mean, maybe. No, you don't. Yeah. But that's okay. We're moving on. And you know, the one building the train and you're like, it's a city. It's a <laughs> map. This yeah. could have happened two minutes in. I feel like maybe Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. should have shorter seasons so that things aren't dragged out as much. Oh my god, yes. Well, I think part of it is that they're pacing it so that they're they're setting between movies and between other events. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I think their seasons should be shorter is because they're they're timing it to keep up and to like match up with movies that are coming out like years apart. But you know, in a weekly thing, I don't know how well that, like, I obviously love the show, but I think the, it, it just, from week to week, there's just too much exposition. There's, like, it's, it's, it's a talker. There's no question yeah. about it. There's a lot of talk going on. There's a lot of dialogue. And I mean, if you go out to the kitchen to get some popcorn, you're missing yeah. something important. Yeah. Because they'll be talking about it later, and you're going, wait, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. Uh, from that point of view, however, the action sequences are pretty damn cool as well. Oh, my God. And the effects. And, oh, my God. Lady terrific. Sif was back, and Lady Sif is everything. Oh, oh she God. was amazing. It was, she was the best part of the episode, I thought. She's when so she comes fantastic. I just want her to be a main cast team. member. Oh my god. Uh, well, you know. Uh, Jamie Alexander, know. just like, kill me. Yeah, I wanted to be on the show forever. She's so great. Um, and then I think probably one of my favorite pieces of the episode last night was the sparring scene between May and Skye, and how May is really like taking her under her wing. And I just, I just loved it. It was just so wonderful. I just love them. And that played off at the very end when Lady oh Seth god. was going after her. And it was yeah. quite well oh. done. Really, so great. Really I, I just love work. their dynamic. Yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. So yeah. you weren't disappointed? I was not disappointed, no. Okay. I'll be honest with you, neither was I. <laughs> I really love it. Good. 
Yeah. Uh, so about two or three weeks ago, we had a, a, an email from a friend of ours who'd been on the show before, and we're not going to really talk about who that was right now. And he said, I've got this project coming up with a couple of friends of mine, and this is our open invitation to bring them onto the show because the two friends that he's doing the project are uh, Alan Tudyk and this guy you may or may not ever heard of before called Nathan Fillion. Who? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wait, was, he, was he in that movie, The, um, the Waitress? No, he was in that movie, Much Ado About Nothing, that wonderful Shakespearean comedy. Oh, yeah, I love that movie. He was, um, he was the uh, Benedict, right? Right, exactly. And he was on some soap operas, I think, like back in the 90s. So yeah. our older oh, oh, wasn't actually Benedict. You were wrong. You <laughs> dog, Barry. <laughs> I was waiting to call my bluff, and you fucked it up. Yeah, well, sorry, sorry I was waiting for a page continue. to go. Did a bad job, continue. <laughs> so anyway, don't tell us about the thing that's been exploding the internet. It's called Con Man, and it's uh, a TV series that's being created by Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion. And uh, they're actually producing it with money from Indiegogo. And in the very first day of their campaign, they've got almost a million dollars. Yeah, they've got $800,000. Not bad, because they needed 400. I refresh the page. Yeah, I know, the page keeps crashing on me. (laughs) And right now, they're at 189% of their... uh, of their goal, so they're they're actually doing well. <laughs> what pisses me off? I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Their ten thousand dollar producer uh, reward is sold. Their five thousand dollar associate producer is sold. Ugh. I was so wanting to do that. So what we're what we're seeing right now is PJ Page. We want you on the show to talk about this. We and we promise if you come on the show, it. I will not let Dome call you Peach again. Ever. Ever. <laughs> also, if yeah, you yeah, just yeah. come back on the show because you are awesome. Let's face it. Absolutely. And this is an absolutely cool thing. It has blown up the internet. There isn't one genre website you can go on that's not talking about it, not mentioning it, and do a typical in the first half of the very first day and it's just climbing like crazy right now is incredible cool so good for you guys uh we're looking forward to talking to you pj and do you say good luck when they've reached their goal in the first half of the first day no you did it good job yay (laughs) make more money that's that's how yeah i guess so okay Okay. All right, good. I, I stand collected. Excellent. What else is going on, Sarah? Um, I don't fucking know. All right, so um, last year there was a whole Twitter campaign for I Want My Nerd HQ for the Nerd Machine to have uh, Nerd HQ for the fourth year in a row. Now, on the fifth year, um, we still haven't received comments 
information that Nerd HQ is happening, and they're probably not going to do um, an Indiegogo campaign like they did last year. There was a lot of negative backlash on that, um, and I don't think they want a repeat of that. Um, so this year, a bunch of volunteers and people who love Nerd HQ have, um, on the 11th, been tweeting, um, you know, small things about why they want Nerd HQ to happen, or just that they love Nerd HQ, um, trying to do kind of not spamming, but tweeting like one nice thing at the Nerd Machine, or tweeting like giving, sending one tweet to like a company that might want to sponsor them, for example, like Cards Against Humanity, and be like, hey, um, you might, you guys, like, it would be really cool if you guys could think about um, sponsoring Nerd HQ this year so we can have it thin like that um because for us that's the only thing that we do this year at comic-con because literally nobody was able to get tickets i was in like the the pre-sale and the general sale i got nothing um i was being hoping that my friend could get me like her guest paid pro bag nothing i've got nothing so the only way that i can go and i really want to go see my friends is rich q um sarah so yes for those of us who are listening who don't know what Nerd yes. HQ is. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. So Nerd HQ is kind of, um, and it's within the kind of general San Diego Comic-Con outside of Comic-Con event. So it's run by Zachary Levi, who was Chuck on Chuck and the voice of Flynn Rider in Tangled. Um, and this will hopefully be its fifth year. Um, but it's, they have um, panels and uh, photo ops and events to raise money for Operation Smile, which is a charity for children who are born with cleft lips, excuse me, lips and cleft palates in, in developing countries for them to get the reconstructive surgery they need to, you know, survive. Um, so it's a really great cause and it's really fun. And I've actually volunteered there for the last two years um, and then all of the years. And is that, is that the right number of years? Four years, 2011. Yeah, um, this will be the hopefully if it happens, this will be the fifth year, because um, 2011 was the first year. So we're trying mm -hmm. to just show support and try to show that it's important to us and that we're gonna, you know, we're there and we're gonna help it. Just try to help it happen this year, because it's and it's if huge. you see Joshua Jackson, he might be willing to move Pacey Gone into. Nerd HQ, like combined. Seriously, my dream of life is to go to PaceyCon, which doesn't exist. That's awesome. You should, yes, but you should make this. You should make it happen. Do I it. Should make it happen. Do it. If I can dream yes. it, it can happen. Exactly. Absolutely. So yeah, go check out thenerdmachine.com. Buy some merch. Tweet it the Nerd Machine and uh, show your love and support because it's a great event and a good cause and it's um, a free event that um, you know, unlike Comic Con, which is like 100 and I don't know how much it is now, 180 or something ridiculous. This is free. A billion dollars. You need to support charity. A billion trillion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that parking this year at San Diego is also a lottery. Oh my god, literally so everything is a lottery. Pro Reg was a lottery oh. for the first time ever, and people were pissed. Well, yeah. For good Why reason. For very good reasons. I still have heard literally Absolutely. nothing about press 
if like because I I applied for a press badge and I have heard exactly zero things back and I've emailed them so many times. Uh, uh, Comic Con. Yeah, that's that's the problem when it gets to be that big. And yeah. basically, well, they've had SeaWorld is to... taken over by cosplay. <laughs> what? And SeaWorld is taken over by cosplayers. Uh, huh. Yeah. Well, they've had plans to um, like renovate and expand the convention center for a few years, but they haven't started them yet for some reason. You know what they should do? They should hold it on like a college campus. Hmm. Like rent out a college campus and hold it there. You've like got UCLA? Yeah, you've got lecture halls, you've got the capacity to sell food, you've got lodgings. Interesting. Like That's true. you've got panel rooms that are already set up. You've got screen. I don't know how that, that would work with, like summer up. classes though. Well, like, you you would have to time it. Usually there's a break between summer classes. Yeah. Like between usually most universities do two sessions and there's a break between. You time yeah. it for the break between. Hmm. Interesting. You should just plan everything. Yeah, we're we're making you the official planner right now. I enjoy so, logistics. <laughs> like not many people do, but I really enjoy logistics. Good. <laughs> nerd. What a nerd. Nerd. Uh, what else I enjoy? Nerd. What? You know what else I really enjoy? Oh, um, here it comes. Yeah. I really enjoy Z Nation, which is <laughs> <laughs> No, seriously. Z Nation is sci-fi's response to The Walking Dead. And it is And how did they do it? How I mean how how is it different and yet amazing? You know what it is? It's everything I kind of think in the corner of my mind during Walking Dead. I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if blank or logistically, logistically, <laughs> how would blank work? Like, where are they getting gas to still be driving cars around in The Walking Dead after however many years of zombie apocalypse? Good point. Z Nation addresses that. And, and and how when do they Carol address it? And 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 Daryl break into the daycare center to steal baby stuff for baby Judith. And the entire episode, I was just waiting. I was hoping and like on the edge of my seat waiting for zombie baby. Which Walking Dead would have made full of pathos and drama. Z Nation did it. Z Nation immediately, like within the first 15 minutes of the episode, zombie baby. Not only that, but they included the line said with drama. And it's like meant to be one of those lines where, you know, the main character is finally accepting his destiny. And the line is, well, I didn't tell him to go and get eaten by a baby. 
And you know, it since it's satire, that they know exactly what they're doing with that line. They know it's ridiculous. They know that parts of it are ridiculous, and they still do it, and that's what's awesome. It's yes. fun. It's a fun zombie show, and they did the one episode of Humans Are the Real Evil, and then they dropped it. They're like, oh yeah, here's some cannibals. Just because. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put every zombie apocalypse trope for bad people into one set of people. They're sex traffickers who are also cannibals. Yeah, because, you know, of course. Yeah, and then they're Our done. zombie apocalypse. And then they're done and they move on to a daycare center full of zombie babies. They roll the Liberty Bell down a hill. <laughs> oh my and god. As it rolls, it oh clangs and crushes a bunch of zombies. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. And there's a character Remember, who says, this- I would pay to see that again. And Kriana turns to me and says, I kinda would too. And I said, Luckily, we pay for Netflix, so we did pay to see that again. Watch <laughs> <laughs> this and watch it over and over. Oh no! And so, remember, yeah. this is the same network that has just hired David Hasselhoff to play Ian Ziering's father in Sharknado Three. Oh my god! <laughs> Sci-fi knows exactly what they're doing with a lot of these. But the thing is, the instant they were like, you know what, we're not going to take ourselves too seriously, everything got great. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'll go that far with you. But I'll There's def- one yeah. guy who lives alone in the North Pole, and he works for the NSA. Like, every single thing that should not be possible for him to do. Like, he calls payphones that are next to where the main characters are standing in order to talk to them. And whenever anyone says... How can you do this? He's like, oh, we're the NSA. <laughs> um, we can do anything. We're the NSA. Exactly. It's like, I, I believe that- his, his other thing is, I have a satellite. Yeah. His other thing is, I have a satellite. I have a satellite. Not I use one. I have one. Right. He's the only one left. Oh, good Lord. It's amazing. I love it. And he has his puppy now. He does have a puppy. We just got to the episode where he gets a puppy. <laughs> well, I have some Harlan Ellison news. Speaking uh, of puppies. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of puppies. <laughs> it was a very funny story someday that's going to come out about Harlan Ellison puppies and sci-fi Saturday night. Possibly tonight, but I'm not sure it will. That sounds uh, funny. Yeah, I know. No dogs were harmed in the making of Sci-Fi Saturday Night ever. This time. (laughs) Um, I'd just like to clarify, ever. Okay, fine. I just want to clarify this time. Um, One of the most amazing screenplays, teleplays ever written was written by Harlan Ellison. And it was The City on the Edge of Forever, which was in Star Trek, the original series, uh, which was just an amazingly wonderful story. It's one of the few things that Ellison saw get translated from book 
to the visual screen and didn't want to kill somebody for doing it. Um, however, as, as well received as it was by everybody and as happy he, as he was by it, it was a huge diversion from the original script. And what's happened is Ellison has allowed the original script to be done as a, uh, as a short series comic by IDW. They will adapt the original teleplay as a comic book miniseries beginning in the next month. Uh, Ellison's original teleplay was modified significantly before the episode was filmed with his permission. Uh, now fans will be able to enjoy the original in the form of an all-new miniseries. Uh, and who ah, the covers are being done by Juan Ortiz, who's one of the most exceptional uh, artists that I do right now. And uh, he just finished his book, Star Trek, The Art of Juan Ortiz, which is also an amazing book. So this is going to be uh, a wonderful little miniseries. And IDW does a great job with these kind of limited run series books. And it's Harlan Ellison. I can't wait to see it. As a silence falls over the podcast. What? Ghosts. Meow. Meow. Exactly. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Go to the guests before we all just go insane. <laughs> I think we're going to have to that. The book is called The Horror Guide to Massachusetts, and I'm going to start before I actually reintroduce the two writers by just reading from the introduction. Uh, in an October 1930 letter to Robert E. Howard H.P. Lovecraft, explained the reason why the majority of his tales take place in Massachusetts. It is the night black Massachusetts legendary which packs the real macabre kick. Here is material for a really profound study in group neuroticism. For certainty, no one can deny the existence of a profundity, morbid streak in the Puritan imagination. And that's how uh, <laughs> Scott and David Gottsward introduced us to a horror guide to Massachusetts. Scott, David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. So my first question to you is, uh, how did the idea for this book come about? When you know, we initially I think in that project, it was going to be a, um, like, like a travel guide and give you maps and tell you which movie was filmed in which part of Massachusetts. Oh, that's right. And then the publisher decided that, you know, we don't want to do a travel guide after we had had, I'm going to say, 75% of the book finished. And they said, you know, why yeah. are you doing it to add short stories and novels? And we did that, and then we got it almost finished. And they said, you know what, why don't you add songs and poetry and stage, please? 
So what you ended up with... The original concept is an atlas. Or I guess if I'm at the risk of showing my edge a gazetteer. Okay. It it kind of still has that vibe, you'll notice. It it kind of does. Uh, You have uh, five or six entries about Amherst College in here, which I found really interesting. Amherst. I was going to say, Dom, did you seriously just say Amherst? Yeah. Uh, Actually, I kind of did. You can't blatantly try to pronounce Haverhill. Yeah, well, that's not happening. So, where did. How much. What you've got is actually a, a Massachusetts guide to everything weird, abnormal, paranormal, books, movies. Uh, dead bodies, whatever. How long from inception did this take to put together for you guys? Well, we kind of cheated a little bit on this one. This is actually an expanded, enlarged version of something we had done earlier for a publisher who shall rename Nameless, who we don't like anymore. So this took about a year and yeah, it, 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 uh, it, look up the word train wreck. If this publisher is listed, we ought to be. But it, so this this is only this is only about a what is, what's the word count as one hundred twenty thousand. So this is only about a year and a half expansion. I mean, one of these yeah, one of these cool. books we're doing we're wrapping in Florida right now, so it's probably a safer one there. It takes about a year, year and a half. Keep in mind, I also work on this full time. That's also right. the writing project. So David's got a couple more nonfiction books out. I'm doing a couple of anthologies, et cetera, et cetera. So we're not doing that one exclusively, but it takes about a year, year and a half per book. I just said that. How how did you guys do this? I mean. First of all, you're living in, in you different parts of the country. you can't tell by a lot of bickering involved. Oh, good. Well, that's what brothers do, right? We're experts. Don't try this at home. <laughs> Where is Arkham Cemetery? Well, Arkham is one of those complicated ones. Arkham is actually one of those fictional towns that was created by Lovecraft. It's based loosely on Salem, New Hampshire, but by the time you're getting to things like Arkham Cemetery, which is actually created by August Derlin, um, there's no semblance of real geographical location. And that, that's kind of what we wanted to do, was mix the fictional locations like Arkham and Dunwich and its, uh, no, not its Innsmouth, slightly different fiction, uh, and just interchangeably place them in there with real locations. And that's, that's the kind of weird little goldenness about this is that you, as you're flipping through it, you're going, okay, here's all this stuff from Lovecraft, here's all this stuff from, what's Boston doing in the middle of this? Uh, Boston's in the middle of everything. <laughs> Especially in the snowpocalypse. Boston's a fun town to try to research because, of course, when well, I'll go back to Lovecraft because he's in here so often. Lovecraft wrote stories such as um, 
I'm blank on the name of it. The, uh, the painter. Oh, isn't it? Uh, the brain completely gives out. Um, but it's based in the North End. And within two or three years after he wrote this story, it was already gone. He had taken people out to see the buildings that had been the inspiration, and it was already gone. So even within Lovecraft's lifetime, the city was evolving and changing, and places that used to be there aren't. A bit, no better example of that than Edgar Allan Poe's birthplace. Uh, supposedly on Carver Street. Carver Street hasn't been there for 120 years. And um, the best they can do right now is it's somewhere around where they put the statue, give or take a half a mile. But I, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put money on it. They have yet to put one in the actual place where it belongs. So every once in a while in the book, we also get some pictures, and I was looking at the Top Hill Cemetery, which is actually Top Hill Burying Ground, and you have this very odd picture in there of the Mather Tomb. Ah, yes. So, I mean, at the what same time, you're talking about all these... Uh, literarily historical uh, places and, and things. All of a sudden, Cotton Mather's, a picture of Cotton Mather's tomb, which is quite unremarkable, actually, shows up it is, as a picture like in the book. It is, but I like to people where to sit. <laughs> Cotton Mather, his father increased, although they did not have hands-on, were the architects of the Salem Witches area. And if there is one thing that has something to do with Boston and Haverhill and Salem and all these towns in Massachusetts that are clearly related to horror, it's the witch trials. Yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. And Daddy and Junior are basically responsible for it because they endorsed and legitimized spectral evidence. I had a dream that this guy was going to hit me in the head. Obviously, he's a witch. Good luck for me. Hang him. <laughs> yeah, we'll throw him in the river, and if he drowns, he's not a witch. And if he doesn't, he is. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a real light-hearted time in history. In fact, I have I, a, I, a completely related book that just... You could spend a lifetime just studying about from about 1640 to 1700, and boy, it's amazing this country ever got off the ground. <laughs> One of the most amazing things uh, uh, that uh, it struck me as, as I was reading the first couple of chapters in it, at the Mount Auburn Cemetery, uh, there is uh, a sculpture of a that was supposed to be a civil war memorial in the cemetery and the sculptor created a 13 foot tall sphinx which is still there mm-hmm. it's yeah, that's, you gotta, let's face it we're horror writers we enjoy walking through cemeteries just for the heck of it and sometimes you stop and look at the pretty ones and Cambridge Mount Auburn was actually built at a time when Boston was having a revival of the Egyptian 
architecture. It's, that's one of the few pieces that survived because it's really an ugly style of architecture in a city. <laughs> it's certainly really oddly out of place, yeah. So, I mean, how but much it, of this was it's, it's you guys walking? Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, a lot of this stuff is, is, is just stuff we know anyway. I mean, to be honest, Scott is a modern horror person. I don't, I don't read modern horror. Um, oh, no. I'll read a it must be why you guys get along so well. <laughs> it's a good mix. Like, he handles the new stuff, I handle the old stuff. So That's why there's as much Stephen King as there is Nathaniel Hawthorne. Uh, maybe a little more Nathaniel Hawthorne. I, I was, was going to say, I think there's considerably more Stephen King. Well, there's also a, a mechanism of uh, Chris Golden and uh, Nate Kenyon in there, too, to, to kind of highlight just the more modern stuff. But David's the librarian. By more modern, you mean better. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. I didn't realize it was going to get ugly. Be- better than Stephen King? No. Clearly. Stephen King is a hack. Oh my god, we can add him to the the list of people who will never be on the show, and I'm cool with that. We we've added him to that a long have time we? ago. That's good. Yes, That's have. good. There there's that one movie, and I know the movies are different, but I will never read oh, the books. Oh, no, 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 just the movie. just from watching this movie, I don't care what the book is actually about. There were poop demons. <laughs> that sounds like dogma. Mm. Poop demon? Yeah, that does sound more like Godwin. That's Pennsylvania. But... No, no, it, it was a Stephen King movie. Come on, Sombrain, help me out. What was it called again? Poop demons? Dreamcatcher? Dream yeah, that's yeah. the one. Dreamcatcher. Oh, yeah. That, that part takes place up in Maine. It's not my problem yet. <laughs> that's, that's like three books down the road. That, that movie, and I don't pardon my language, is fucked up. <laughs> well, it works exactly well with the either. I, I, I tried several times, but they, they were actually demons made out of poop. They just came out of the dude's colon while he was trying to take a poop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes it better. Totally. Yeah, totally better. Little yeah. No, absolutely. Now, Stephen King is hot and cold. I mean, I think some of his stuff is very good. I think he's very good at establishing background and character develop very quickly, but I also think it works best in his short stories. The novel, Where there are less poop demons? Just saying. <laughs> well, again, that's a novel, so... But, like I said, he runs hot and cold. It's like Lovecraft. People either love him or hate him. There's no middle ground. So Actually, what we, I what think some people love hate to hate him. Some people love to hate him. Yeah, I think you're one of them, actually. <laughs> Me? No. I'm fine with Lovecraft. Well, I think success breeds contempt. He's an adorable cases. little racist man. <laughs> yes, because adorable is a great term to describe racist people. No, racist, raging, misogynistic, you know. Yeah, those fine. Well, what, what's, what's that word we use to excuse old people from having disgusting worldviews? A product of their time? Product of your time, you can you can get away with that if you want to make that argument with Lovecraft. The bottom line is, I yeah, I don't think you can. Today, I, I don't think you can. A horrible person is a horrible person. Well, the problem, the problem, I think, and boy, are we trapped and off the track. Uh, <laughs> is, 
people don't separate Lovecraft stories from Lovecraft correspondence. It's correspond if Lovecraft's correspondence. Well, didn't Lovecraft's exist. correspondence is a reflection of Lovecraft as a person, and how would you separate his stories from him as a person? Well, for all we know, Nathaniel Hawthorne used to dress up in his wife's clothes and wander the streets at night. There's no and that, that doesn't that doesn't and hurt anyone. Why why is that a bad uh, thing? That doesn't make that. you a bad person. What makes my, you a bad person is, is oppressing people. No, you, what he talked and what he did, he talked a good game. And Lovecraft is a very good example of a Campbellian compartmentalizer. When he talked to one particular, uh, Robert Howard, for instance, he tended to be a swaggering, macho tone to the letter. He was talking to Clark Aston Smith, he tended to be a little less uh, macho, a little more artistic. So it really, you know, you take stuff out of context, anybody looks bad. I, I don't, think, I don't think you have to take Lovecraft out of context to get it to look bad, though. Like, it's well, read, pretty bad. Read volume three. Read volume three of his letters versus volume one. Volume one, he's still wet behind the ears, living at home. Volume three, in New York, doesn't like it, doesn't like it, doesn't crowd. I, I kind of go with him on that one. But he's tamping it down a little bit. So he's evolving as he ages. So back to the book, if we can, for just a minute. Uh, oh, as you guys are researching this book... What are some of the, what are some of the strangest things that you found out as you were doing the research? You want this one, Scott, or can I go right to my favorite in the whole book? We losing him? I think or is he ignoring me again? No, I, I think some Wait. of the strangest stuff, like the Bridgewater Triangle, with the, you know the little section of the Bridgewater that has got the the Yeti sightings and the aliens and. Um, Human sacrifices and everything else down there. Swamp gas, and of course, yeah. the cold would stab me if, if you're talking about it. Triangle but, um, is fun, yeah. The Bridgewater But my favorite in the book, personally, is Waynesboro, Massachusetts. That's a town out west um, between Adams and Pittsfield. It's not that big of a town. There's a grave there for a fellow named Josh Billings. Now, Josh Billings was his stage name, and during his lifetime, he was as popular as Mark Twain. In fact, he was possibly more popular than Mark Twain. But his stuff didn't sustain because he didn't have the books to fall back on. He was strictly a regional chatter. He went out to California and died. And he died in a town that had a doctor who was also the undertaker. And in California in that time, what you did was you eviscerate the corpse, stuff it full of sawdust, and ship it home. The parts that got removed, this particular doctor tossed out a back window. The town found out who this guy was who has died, was horrified that they were going to be known as the town that threw the spleen of Josh Billings out in the woods. So they made the doctor go out, get all the loose parts, put them in a separate coffin, put that coffin inside his main coffin, and then ship it all home. So inside his tomb is his coffin, and inside his coffin is his internal organs. And the kicker of the whole story is it's written up by Steinbeck in Chenery Row. 
<laughs> so it doesn't even keep playing it. <laughs> wow. I okay, love that that's... story. <laughs> I'm not sure why you do, but that's that's incredibly odd. There are there's always one in each book. And it, as soon as you write it up, you go, you know what? That's the one. And in the part of the book as well, it's just you look at it and go, yep, that's the one. The one you get the most mileage out of telling the story over and over again, and it still gets better every time. <laughs> A Horror Guide to Massachusetts is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Thanks, guys, for being on the show. Really appreciate having you here tonight. Always fun. Thanks. Adriana, what's happening over the next couple of weeks here? Well, I wish I could tell you, but there's nothing on the coming up calendar for next week, so I'll, you'll have to go beat the booking monkey and see what you can shake out of him. Maybe a spare banana, if you know what I mean. I thought next week we were having our special Lady Authors of Science Fiction show. Well, it's not on the calendar, so... Well, and we'll then, have to beat him. Well, someone should put it there. And then on the 28th, we have Derek Belanger and his assorted friends discussing A Study in Terror, uh, which is an anthology of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Stories of Fear and the Supernatural. Sir Sarah. All right. Well, I get to say that Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con, Granite Con, Rhode Island Comic-Con, booze.com and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on LawrenceMadeMeCry.com. Tonight's intro music provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creations at RobWattsOnline.com. Dome. I want to thank Scott and David Gottswart for joining us tonight and talking about the oddities that exist in the state that Scott lives in, Massachusetts. It's really one of the weirdest books I've ever read. <laughs> and I want to thank our cast tonight from the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and woman of words, Zombrarian. Thank you very much, ladies. I'd say to bite me, but I feel like I can find a more sophisticated word for that. Masticate thyself? Sure. I Masticate works. your own self. From our own personal galaxy quest, Sir Sarah Lady Knight. Thank you, my dear. That sounds good. That sounds perfect.